Praise God. Thank you, Lord. He's so good to us, isn't he? Yeah. So my message is titled, Faith for Your Future. Thank you, Gordon. And over the last week, there have been, and I know that not, not every be, everybody's been there to be part of that, but there have been many prophetic words given. <clears throat> and I want to talk today about the need for faith um, and applying faith for our future. You know, God's kind of faith is about speaking and believing confidently, right? So Mark eleven twenty two to 24, Jesus said, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. So what's faith? It's, a con it's confidence in God. It's belief in God that his word is true and that he'll do what he says he will, he will do. It's genuine confidence in God's love for us and his redemption um, blessing, freedom, and provision, all of that being true. It's, it's, it's confidence in God. You know, God actually applies faith to everything he does. Did you know that? He doesn't just expect us to walk by faith. He does it himself. Through faith, the world was made. It says in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So what I mean by that is that, well, I'll continue with that scripture, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's really interesting. So, so God formed the world with his words. He saw a picture of what he wanted, which is in the future, and he spoke it into being, and that's faith. So God believed without any doubt when he spoke that the world would be created. <laughs> he didn't think, oh, I hope it works this time. <clears throat> he didn't think that. He knew it would because whenever he speaks, he, he speaks with creative force. So by faith, the worlds were framed. It wasn't made of visible things. The things that we see here, you know, the earth, the sun, the stars... We see that in the physical realm, but it wasn't actually made by visible things. It was formed by faith in this, through what God spoke, and it, spoke into, it was spoken into being. And you know what? Faith is essential for all of us. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that, conti that continues on, you know, Everything we do has to be done in faith. And I tell you what, if you're born again, if you know God, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have actually applied faith at least once because you can't be saved without faith. And, uh, and so we, are, we all can do it. We all can do it. 
it says in Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, 10.38, it says, The just shall live by faith. And who are the just? Yep, it's us. It is us. We've been justified by faith and his blood, it says in Romans. And so our faith is the key in God's kingdom. Faith is really, really important. And that's why God says without faith it's impossible to please him because we have to live by faith. We need to make sure we know how to do that. It's the key to unlocking God's promises for us. And do you know what? Faith actually looks into the future and speaks things into being. So faith reaches into our future It reaches in and it grabs hold of what we're applying our faith for. That's the thing we're hoping for. And it pulls it into the now. That's what our faith does. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now the things hoped for are the things we're praying for, the thing in the future. the, The faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. So when we pray, the thing we're praying for is what we're hoping for, okay? It's what we're taking hold of in our future. It's that thing that's in the future that we're grabbing hold of and pulling into the now. So when we have confidence and believe that God will provide what we're hoping for, that's the evidence or the substance or the proof that we've received it. It's as simple as that. It may not be physical, physically visible yet, but we have the proof that it's been done. <laughs> just like when you um, buy something, uh, let's just say you buy something online, you've paid for it, you've got the receipt, that's kind of like the proof that you've bought it, okay? Might not have actually arrived yet, okay? Same sort of thing. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So when do we believe that we receive it? When we pray. It's when we pray. It's not when it comes into physical reality. And that can make people's minds go a little bit loopy (laughs) because it doesn't make logical sense, does it? It actually doesn't make logical sense. But God's are beyond logic. So when you apply your faith, your prayer is answered in the spiritual realm immediately. Okay? And your faith is the proof that you've received it. All you have to do now is wait until it manifests physically. So an important thing to remember is that your actions as well have to line up with your faith. James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by my works or by, by my actions. So you need to hold fast your confession. And Hebrews 10.23 says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So hold fast to it. Hold fast to that thing you've grabbed for in the future. Hold fast and don't let it go. Don't waver. Because it says, he who promised is faithful. That's our God. He's the one that's promised. And he's faithful. So do you know what? To hold fast and I looked this up in the dictionary, it actually means something to which something else may be firmly secured. So to hold fast our confession means it's securely like held tight 
to what we're hoping for, firmly secured. So, for example, if we've applied our faith for healing, what we speak once we've prayed must line up with being healed. Has to line up with being healed, not waiting for healing. You get what I mean? You've got to, you've got to make sure your confession lines up with being healed as if it has already manifested physically. In other words, our confession has to align completely with the proof that we've already received it. And our faith, or our confidence, is that proof. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. So we don't focus on what we can see. We, we focus on, on what we're believing for. I might be putting it in a way that you're not used to hearing, maybe. I don't know. How do we grow in our faith? Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it comes by hearing the word over and over and over, meditating on the word of God. So for our faith or our confidence in God to work, it must be in here or here has to be in our heart, not in our head. When faith is in our heart, our mouth, or what we say, will prove it. Okay? Luke 6.45 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, your words are going to prove whether you're in faith or not. So we need to make sure we keep, uh, keep it, be, be aware of what we're speaking. We do need to be aware of that. So we need to treat our heart like a treasure box, filling it with the word of God, <laughs> okay? I, I remember when I was teaching, I, I would often teach, um, well, in fact, this applies to any student, but uh, in particular for students with um, difficulties like dyslexia and things like that, often students like that find it really difficult to transfer their sh knowledge in the short-term memory into their long-term memory. That's quite a common thing that those students find difficult. And so in order to move that knowledge from the short-term memory to the long-term memory, it actually takes repetition, lots and lots of repetition and it takes it over a long period of time. And it's the same with us. When we continue to repeat putting in the word of God into our heart, it does start out in our head, but then it drops down into our heart, and it becomes who we are. You see, that scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, we know when we're in a tough position what's really in our heart, because when we're either really angry or when we're really afraid, what we say in those moments really shows what's in here. Are they words of faith or are they words of fear? Are they words of anger or are they w words of peace? So, so what's in our heart will always, will always come out in the hard times. Where am I up to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our words prove whether we're in faith or not. And I want to tell you, a script, a scripture in Romans 10.10 10 backs this up as well. And this is often used, um, verses 9 and 10 of Romans 10, 
in um, receiving salvation. But I'll tell you what the scripture says. It says, For with the heart one believes or applies faith unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So when, when you receive Jesus, that's exactly what you're doing. You're applying your faith because you're believing, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I, I choose to make him my Lord. And then you say, yes, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. That's all, and that's faith. That's faith applied. So if you are born again, as I said before, you've used your faith at least once. <laughs> So we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. Romans 10, 9, the verse before that says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And that's, that's faith applied. So the great thing about salvation, this is just a little side note, it doesn't just mean receiving Jesus is our Lord and Savior and then ending up in heaven one day. God, although that is what it includes, but you know, God wants us living a blessed life now. He wants us living a life of freedom and joy and hope. He wants us living a life of faith and serving him in this life. He wants us provided for. He wants us to be able to pray over our petrol tank and the fuel gets multiplied. He wants us to pray as we go into the grocery store. Thank you, God, you provide my every need, and then you just somehow end up with more than what, without stealing, of course, <laughs> more than what you, you thought you could get. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I want to talk for a moment about, I want to move slightly into um, applying faith to prophetic words, and I want to start by telling you a story about myself when I was around 20 years old, I was given a prophetic word and the word said that I would be a teacher and I would write curriculum. And I just thought that was so random at that time because just a few years earlier when I was still at college, I, or high school, I said to a, fr a friend of mine, what are you going to do when you leave school? And she said, I'm going to be a teacher. And I said, what? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> I thought that was crazy talk because I was thinking, I've just spent my entire childhood and teen years in a school. Why would you want to go back to that? <laughs> and so I thought, no way, there's no way I want to be a teacher. And then just a few years later, this prophetic word comes and I was thinking, what on earth? Okay, so I thought, well, I'll just put that in my little book. <laughs> and forget about it for a wee while. And I, I, I would pull that out every now and again and look at it and think, oh, okay, mm, still doesn't really fit me. But then when I was older, I was living in Australia for a few years, and when I was around about 30, I felt God tell me that one day I'd be running the kids' ministry at this church. So I wasn't even in New Zealand at the time. And it was only through my thoughts that God did that. But I tell you what, a little tip... If, if you, because God will talk to you and he probably does a lot and you might not actually realize it, but God speaks to you in your thoughts often and it will sound like your own voice. But a one little tip with knowing if it's God is first of all, is it, does it line up with the word of God? Is it good? If it's bad, it's definitely not God. But, but the other thing is that when 
when you think about what's said, is that something you would normally have thought? And I definitely not, would have not have thought, one day I'm going to be running the children's ministry at Centre Church. No, I would not have thought that. <laughs> and so, but it was like this, and it, and it was like someone was talking to me, but it was my voice. And it said, one day you will run children's ministry at Centre Church. And I didn't tell anybody about that at all. Not one single person. Nobody in my family, nobody at all. <laughs> I just kept it here and thought, okay, well, we'll see. So at that point, though, I thought, okay, what can I do to maybe prepare myself for that? So I, I enrolled myself in a, a children's ministry evening course um, over in Australia and Sydney. And it was a year-long course, four hours once a week, and uh, went for the whole year. And it actually did prepare me really well, actually. It taught me a lot of things that... I had dabbled in children's ministry before, but uh, this course gave me really good grounding in what I would need for that. And so... Uh, when I moved back to New Zealand, when I was 33 by that point, so another three years had passed, um, I still didn't tell anybody. And I came back here as well, so back here to this church straight away. I still didn't tell anybody about that word. Then the person that was running children's ministry at the time stepped out. And long story short, there wasn't anyone to take over the ministry. And at that point, then I said to Pastor Robin, my mum, and my dad. I said, maybe I could do it. <laughs> and I remember them saying, oh, I didn't really ever think of that. <laughs> but I wasn't prepared to just sort of go in there and push my way and say, oh, I'm meant to be running children's church. <laughs> um, no, I didn't do that. But what I, I, I just, the timing was right. The timing was right. And the really interesting thing is that uh, I took that role over, and over the, time, the, over the years that I ran that ministry, I did write some curriculum because I would write every term, I would write what, we would, what I wanted all of our leaders to be teaching the children. And so back in those days, we had uh, about 80 to 100 kids each Sunday, and so, which is very different to what it is now, but, you know, things can change again. Uh, but yeah, we had a lot of kids, and so we had five different age groups, and we needed a lot of leaders to keep that running. So we had um, on our team, uh, sort of like in roster, um, rotating rosters, about 30 people. So it's quite a large team, actually. And so I used to write what I wanted them to, to teach. So then at the age of 39, I enrolled at university to start a degree uh, to be a teacher. Well, the, that was the intention. So the prophetic word when I was, that I was given when I was 20, it was another 14 years before I did anything to do with curriculum, and then it was actually 22 years from the prophecy before I started teaching. It's quite a long time, eh? But that's what God does sometimes. So the point is that we need to apply faith to prophetic words, whether they're given by a prophet or a leader or another person or God himself in our thoughts, sometimes it's going to require a step of faith. 
And, and we might need to position ourselves and just do something to maybe prepare ourselves, perhaps. So when we apply actions to our faith, God can direct our steps much more easily. <laughs> James 2.17 says, faith by, itself, by, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's James 2.17. So it's easier to steer a moving vehicle. Do you agree with this? It's easier to steer a moving vehicle than it is a stationary one. So if you're actually doing something, it's easier for God to, to direct you. And, and actually, that, that is true in a lot of ways. It can be true in finding jobs. If you take a job, it might not be your, your, the job you really, really ultimately want to have, but it might be a stepping stone to something better, and then from there it might lead to something else and then to something else. And it can work like that. It can work in service at the church as well. If you're not sure what you want to do to, to help out at church, then you just try something. It might work out that it's amazing, or it might be like, no, nah, that's not me. And then you find something else, and then you just go from there. So the point is that um, we just need to step out sometimes, eh? Now, I want to say this, that if you didn't receive a prophetic word uh, last week, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you at all. Or that he doesn't have a plan or an assignment for you, because he does. He has an assignment for everyone, every single one. In fact, even if you don't know God, he has an assignment for you. It's whether or not you choose to do it, for all of us, actually. Um, God is trying to talk to us every day, whether it's through a message like from the pulpit or whether it's through a thought he gives you or a dream or another person or a song. It could be all, lots of ways, lots and lots of ways that God can speak to us. Just be open to, to receiving it. So what should you do when you receive a prophetic word? First of all, write down what you remember about the prophecy straight away, preferably immediately. Um, second thing is, if it was recorded, write it down word for word. Make sure you write the date. And then keep your prophetic words in a journal or in one place so that you can go back to them easily. So I've got prophetic words that I've had in a diary that I've kept for years. And some of them, the earliest one was 1985. It's quite old, eh? <laughs> and what do you do if a prophetic word is unexpected or if you feel it doesn't fit? Well, first of all, just pray over it. Say, Lord, if it's you, I want you to show me. Okay? Sometimes you might shelve a prophetic word for a wee while and maybe go back to it. That's what I did, actually, with that one about you're going to be a teacher and you're going to write curriculum because that was so not at all what I desired to do at all when I received that word. So I sort of shelved it, but then I'd dig it out every now and again. Oh, it's still not relevant. Oh, it's still not relevant. Still not relevant. Oh, maybe it is a bit more relevant now. Maybe it is. Oh, yes, it's very relevant now <laughs> over time. You know, so, but, and also this is true too, um, sometimes prophetic words may not be super accurate as well. So just be aware that it's possible for our, any Christian to say something in the flesh. So um, just, just be aware that that also can happen. But, you know, you'll know in here. If, you, if a prophetic word is from God, you'll feel a sense of peace about it in your heart. But don't confuse feeling peace with liking what God's asked you to do. <laughs> 
Or don't confuse not feeling peace with not liking what God's um, asking you to do, okay? And another thing too, a prophetic word from God will never, ever contradict God's word. A prophetic word, if it's from God, will always align with the truth that God is for you, that he is good, that he heals, and that he never does anything to hurt or harm you in order to teach you something. He never does that. So, God's, I want to talk about the timing of, of prophetic words now for a moment. God's timing is different to ours. Has anyone worked that out? Yeah, me too. We live by very short time frames compared to God because he's eternal and we're here for up to maybe 100 years. Okay? Therefore, a prophetic word might come to pass this year, in five years, in a decade, in 20 years, or in 30 or 40 years, whatever. But something else about timing is that the timing of when the prophecy comes to pass can be affected by you because it involves obedience. God doesn't just make it happen. Otherwise, wouldn't we all just be saved and everybody in the world and then we could be raptured and go to heaven today? Hey, if God did that, you know, he, but God isn't like that. He doesn't force anything. He, he, he's a God who wants us to choose him. And so he will never force anybody to receive him. And he will also never force anyone to obey him either. So God's given us freedom to choose, even if what we choose isn't for our best. It's better if we don't do that. I just want to give you a little tip there. <laughs> Remember that we're co-laborers with God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, for we are laborers together with God. Okay, so that's from the King James Version. God has his part to play, and we have our, our part to do. God always does his part, but we or man does not always do our part, or, you know, man does not always do their part, or we don't always do our part. And therefore, we can alter the timeline through disobedience. Or we could even go so far as to reject what God has asked us to do, in which case the, God will give the assignment to someone else. So I want to give you some examples. So we'll start in Esther. So the book of Esther, um, Esther is a Jewish woman who ended up becoming queen in a, um, another nation. And that's where a lot of the Jewish people were. So it, was, it wasn't Israel as such. So let me just go to the book of Esther. Okay. So in the book of Esther, a man named Haman, I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's how I'll pronounce it. He was promoted to a very prominent and influential position. Now he hated the Jewish people. And he went to the king, King Ahasuerus, and, de and deceptively told him that there were certain people in the kingdom who didn't keep the king's laws. So we'll go to Esther chapter 3. And I'll read from verse 8 through to 14. 
So then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son, I don't need to say that, the enemy of the Jews, and the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So he had been given the green light to destroy the, the Jewish people. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month and a decree was written according to all that Haman had commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to all the officials, etc., and to every people in their language. And in the name of King Ahasuerus it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month. And verse 14, a copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all the people that they should be ready for that day. It sounds pretty horrific, doesn't it? But do you know that Queen Esther was a Jewish woman and it wasn't commonly known? Now Mordecai, who was Queen Esther's older cousin and had raised her, found out what had been decreed and so he sent messages to Queen Esther and they started talking via messenger. So they were sending messages back and forth to each other. And he sent messages to her to see if she could exert her influence on the king and plead for her people. So I want you to, if you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 11 to 14. So Esther is replying to, so they, they've given a few messages back and forth, and this, this one here is, verse 11 is where Esther's sending a message back to Mordecai, and she said, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. And so they told Mordecai Esther's words, so the messenger took that to Mordecai. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this? So if Esther had chosen to be silent and not plead for the Jewish people, if she'd, if she'd not done what God had been prompting her to do, deliverance would have arisen from somewhere else, but she and her father's house would have perished. Okay, that's a pretty... That's, that, I'm glad she went and did it because that, it, if you read the story further, it's a fascinating story. Um, 
about how she did go in and, and Haman ended up being hanged on the gallows that he'd built for Mordecai, I think. Yeah. So really interesting. Um, second example I wanted to give was in, from Exodus 3. Um, God gave Moses an assignment to bring God's people out of Egypt. So what had happened was God had, uh, sorry, Moses had, uh, I'd suggest you read the story in your own time, but Moses was um, from a, a Jew, but he'd been raised in Pharaoh's household. And then he murdered an Egyptian and he fled to Midian, I think. And when he was there, and he was there for quite some time, actually, a long time. But God showed himself to Moses at, through the burning bush. And he, he said to Moses, I've got an assignment for you. Um, I want you to bring God's people out of Egypt. But in verse 11, Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses had doubts about doing what God had said. And in verse 13, Moses, or sorry, Exodus 4.13, Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. In other words, I don't want to do it. Find someone else. <laughs> Moses was trying to back out of his assignment because he didn't think he was good enough. But you know what? I just want to say this, that if God has given you an assignment, it's because he knows you can do it and he will equip you to do it. He doesn't just throw you out there for the sharks, you know. <laughs> so the third, third example I wanted to give you again was uh, to do with Moses, actually, but it's after he'd taken the Israelites out of Egypt and they, they'd had a miracle with the parting of the Red Sea and they'd managed to escape the Egyptians through that way. Uh, then they went, they, God had promised them a, promise, a land of promise and blessing. And so Moses sent out 12 spies to spy on the land that God had promised them. And in Numbers 13, the 12 spies spent 40 days searching and spying out the land. And they found it really was uh, a land of, that was just, they, it says in the Bible, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they all came back, all 12 came back, and they all agreed it was an amazing place, you know, incredible food growing there, an amazing place, but... 10 of the 12 said that the people there were too strong. And only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said that the people of Israel were well able to overcome it. And so all of the people of Israel were listening to this interaction. And do you know what they wanted to do to Caleb and Joshua when they said that? They wanted to stone them. They wanted to kill them. So as a consequence of the people's disobedience, everyone aged 20 years and over, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, wandered in the wilderness for the rest of their lives. And they didn't enter the promised land. So their disobedience meant that Joshua and Caleb and the next generation had to wait for another 40 years before they could enter. And that's an example of man-altering the timeline of God's prophetic promise through disobedience. So it can happen. Uh, the fourth example is 
just a very general example, but I have heard stories where there have been people who've been called by God to do something, but they've rejected the call because they chose not to be obedient to it. And consequently, God gave the assignment to another person. So I want to say this, though. A, a person's calling will always remain. But if they choose to do their own thing, their assignment will be given to someone else. Okay? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I just want to really encourage you. That's basically the end of my message. I wanted to say we need to have faith. We need to have a, an understanding of faith and how we have to have confidence in God and his promises. And if we have prophetic words, we don't sort of just forget about them. It's, it's important to look at them again. And also really seek God and, and be listening to him speaking to you on a daily basis because he is trying to do that. He is. We might just not have our reception on on the you know on the right channel or something <laughs> you just might have to tune it in just a little bit like those old school radios you've just got to alter slightly so it goes from that white noise to being on on track <laughs> so i'm just going to pray father thank you lord for for this word for this day father i thank you lord that you do want us father to to live by faith, and you do want us, Lord, to walk in the assignment that you have for us, Father. So I just pray, God, that, this, that people would feel encouraged by this, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for that your word, Lord, be sown in people's hearts, Father God, and would reap a harvest in Jesus' name. Now, one more thing before we finish and, and um, see if anyone needs any prayer. I want to see if there's anybody that hasn't ever received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour because, honestly, it's the best thing you could ever do. It is the, the best thing. You know, God is not standing there with a big stick to hit you over the head if you do something wrong. He's that is not who God is. God is a God of absolute love and absolute goodness. It's man that's made, that's that's. Over years, man and religion that's taught people that God is an angry God that wants to smack you. Okay? It's not like that at all. So, so if you would like to receive Jesus, all it takes is a simple prayer. That's all it takes. And it's a prayer of faith too, by the way. <laughs> you know, Jesus died on the cross before any of us decided to, to make him our Lord and Savior. He, he died on the cross for us and and what that did was he it's a, was a redemption and that it's not really a common word we use these days but redemption is all about buying us back and so he paid the price for all of our sin so all we need to do is receive it it's a free gift and and so all all it takes is for us to receive that by saying yes lord i i receive it um so yeah, if there's anybody that would like to do that, can you put your hand up? Awesome. Anybody else? Okay, cool. All right. So that person, I'll, I'll get you to come and see me in just a moment. But if there's anybody that wants prayer, can we just have a little bit of music playing, please, Haley? That would be great. And uh, yeah, God bless you all. But if, if you're going to stay in here, please stand in agreement with the prayers that are going on. The ministry team will be up.
to pray for any need that you have. Um, but otherwise, if you're wanting to chat and catch up with people, just go out to the cafe. There's some cup of tea, coffee, um, food available as well. God bless.